Welcome back to another episode of Sorry No Podcast today, where unfortunately we would have a podcast, but we have kicked Kevin, Tyler, and Alex off the podcast mutiny style. They have been forced to walk the plank. They are now floating around somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. If you see them, do not help them. They are fine. They they know how to swim, I hope. I mean, I don't know if Kevin knows how to swim, but if Kevin doesn't know how to swim, don't help him. Uh it is just the three of us. It's JP, Karina, and AJ today. Um, the other guys are in Mobile for some. They just decided they were just gonna go and have fun without us. We're, we are Squidward in the SpongeBob meme. We're sitting in the house watching all of them have fun scouting Senior Bowl prospects. But AJ, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I uh, all I could think about when you said that they were don't do not help them. All I could think about was. Uh, Kevin being stuck in a car with a note that says, do not help him. The AC's on and his favorite song is playing. That's all I can think about with that one. Karina, if we were on a pirate ship and there was one person that had to get kicked off the boat first, who was getting kicked off the boat and why is it Kevin? Well, I feel like Kevin would just talk way too damn much. Like about the most random shit. We'll all be fighting for our lives, and there's a cereal bowl scraping in the bed, in the corner, and there he is eating Cheerios in the corner while we're all dying. We're yeah, like, where man. did you get the Cheerios? He's like, we're on a we're on an 1800s pirate ship. Where is you? Where the fuck did you get Cheerios from? <laughs> but we're here, and of course, we have content for you. We are not going to talk about the conference championships because. You guys already know what happened. You know, the Chiefs won. The Niners won. The, the Lions did what the Lions do. Like, sorry for the city of Detroit, but at least the Pistons won. I feel like that's it's perfectly balanced. You know, only only one can be the true survivor in Detroit sports. So go ahead. Can we talk about, like, what would Eminem have cooked up as a diss track for Taylor Swift if the Lions had won that game? Because I, I, I really want to know what he what that man would have would have rhymed to i feel like some of it would be an fcc violation (laughs) i feel like you will not be able to play that over any airwaves what the mariah carey distract where he called her an alcoholic just yeah 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 like you if you remember the mariah carey distract it's going to be that but worse you know the, the amount of things he's going to call travis kelsey are insane like, it won't be any light Mr. Pfizer stuff. That, that was a lame joke, by the way. We're not even talking about Aaron Rodgers. But simply, if you're going to make jokes, be actually funny. Like, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers just isn't funny. Like, he's not he's not cool. He's not smart. He's not funny. He, he just throw <laughs> ball. Right, man. <laughs> even, when he throw, even when he throw ball, sometimes it don't look that good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we have stuff to talk about. And we are angling this towards the draft. It is now draft season. And our buddy AJ over at Pro Football Network, you should go read his work, published a seven-round mock draft. This isn't even his first seven-round mock draft that he's done this year. If you want to support, go read. Go buy AJ as much root beer as possible because the man does amazing work. But we're going to talk about his seven-round mock draft, some of his favorite prospect team fits, and just his general overall thoughts on the draft class. So, AJ, I want to take I want to let you take it away, kind of talk about some of your overall thoughts on the draft class and what your what your thought process was going into this seven rounder. Yeah, so um the the purpose of every mock draft that I make, I try to come up with different scenarios 
uh, every time. And I love like, what if you know, X happens, then how does that, how does that affect Y things like that? Um, I try not to do trades because I feel like if I did a seven round trade mock with 223 picks, I would inevitably screw up somewhere. And that, that would just be too much. Um, at, at this point, once it kind of settles down, I'll probably go into that. But like the whole point of every mock draft is to a have fun because it's a mock draft. Who cares? At this stage, you're not trying to be accurate, right? You're trying to find ideal team fits, identify team needs. Like what could they be looking at come March and April if you know, this happens or after the end of the season and they look back at the film and go, oh, we needed to boost our linebacker room. We need to address our depth at receiver or, or however. And so like that's the every time I try to look at a mock draft, I try to put myself into the shoes of that staff of like, this is what I think the, like the, either the rational or like the, this is what they've done based on trends. Like I do a ton of research going into every mock draft of like certain teams have certain benchmarks, like the Eagles only draft guys who hit a certain number at on the verticals or the 40 yard dash, like at different position by position. Uh, some teams only draft tackles with like 34 plus inch arm, like it just, just like different benchmarks like that, that matter. And you also have to look at scheme because you don't want to send a, a 200, 305 pound guard to a gap centered team. Cause you're like, well, that just, just, just doesn't make sense. So there's a lot of research that goes into it. Um, for this draft, for this year specifically, it, day three gets really hard because you know, it, the guys at, at the Senior Bowl had kind of alluded to this, but the the return of guys in like the transfer portal, I know NIL is like a big boogeyman. I don't necessarily think it's that big of a thing, but it, day, day three got wiped out. Like you get to you get to about pick 90, 95, you could probably even stretch that sooner and you start to go, man, this guy is probably not a third round talent, but he's probably going to end up going in the third round. And you're, I think you'll see a run early on, on the premium positions, like offensive tackle, edge rusher, corner quarterback, even though I don't, I think there's really only three of the top guys. I think you'll see a couple of teams overdraft uh, draft stock just because like, when it gets to four and five and six, you go into your day three, the quality drops off significantly. And I think teams know that uh, we'll, we'll kind of start to see everything iron itself out in at like post combine. But I, the, the positive thing about this is that if you need like a wide receiver or you need a corner or, or you need even like offensive tackle a little bit has some really strong depth, um, particularly like, Develop intriguing, intriguing developmental guys, uh, things like that. Like as it starts to go on, there's there's talent, but it gets really dry at the end. So you'll probably see teams spend more like their picks on guys that they would have had PFA grades on, and just draft them in the seventh because why not? Like at this point, your typical seventh rounders will probably go in the fifth and sixth this year. So I wonder with that point that you made about NIL and the transfer portal kind of wiping out day three, I wonder how many teams are going to decide to try and trade up into late day two, try and package some of those picks. Cause 
you could go the way of, hey, we have this PFA grade on somebody. We'll just draft them round seven because it's throwing darts at the board. Or you could go the opposite way of being like, if we don't believe in any of these guys that are going to fall to day three, why don't we just package all these picks and try and move up for a guy we actually think yeah, the impact player on day two. Yeah, and I think I, I keep I keep bringing up the Eagles on this one, but like they just they just uh, are about to get four comp picks, which is tied for the most of any team. They only have five picks, and it goes from one, two, and then all the way to like the fifth round. And the Eagles are in like super desperate win now mode right now. Everything has got to get fixed, and they need blue chip talent right away. Right. They have two picks in the second round, uh, pick in the first, and then nothing until the fifth. Like I, I if I'm the Eagles, I'm sitting there going, like, you gotta get top one hundred players and you gotta add to the defense. You gotta get you gotta fix other positions on your offense. Like their team and, and Howie Roseman has been typically pretty aggressive with trades. So like I wouldn't be surprised if teams like him or uh even like New Orleans um the rams the rams will almost certainly trade we'll see if they keep their first rounder they haven't made a first rounder under sean McVay, but we'll see um like they're just i feel like a lot of teams are going to be aggressive and move up the smart teams will play for picks next year like you're i think you're going to see probably baltimore a couple of teams at the end of the first round stockpile picks just just because why not like this year why not? Yeah. And the Eagle, the Eagles, especially team stockpile picks very well. I also think they have a lot of player talent that could be moved, could be packaged into a draft day <clears throat> uh, trade. If, you know, they have some pieces that could be intriguing to other uh, franchises, especially since they have to move some players around and get some secondary talent. And I was looking through your draft and taking a peek at your secondary class and, like you said, there's depth to it, but it doesn't seem like there's a clear like one, two, three, and you know, with the corner position or things like that, right? So you do have some flexibility if there's someone that you like specifically that you could move up for and package, you know, some some of your back end depth in make that trade package more appealing. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, no, especially like you bring up a good point about the corner class. Who won through even like six? or seven will be in this class will almost certainly depend on the team. Um, like right now, Quinion Mitchell is killing oh, it in Mobile. But he, he is like a, he is a man cover corner to the T. And, but you know, which honestly and truthfully would really fit the Eagles because under Vic Fangio, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to run the one rat stuff that he loves to run the man match concepts that he loves. And you don't really want to be doing that with Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Oh God. The problem well, the problem is that Howie Roseman doesn't draft DBs early ever. Like a- as an organization, the Eagles don't draft DBs, running backs, linebackers. Like he's been there for a decade and they've only drafted trench guys, a wide receiver, and a quarterback in the first round. Like that, that's it. But I and think it, I wonder if that changes with Vic Fangio in the building as if, if it does, yeah. I, I think that they really trust yeah. his voice. And after last year, I mean, Howie Roseman is fairly self-aware. It's, I think that they can kind of tell that they can't rely on, you know, just drafting trench players and hoping that you get enough pressure on the quarterback. 
quarterbacks yeah. are supposed to be dynamic at this point. You're only looking for players that can move around in the pocket or escape the pocket. So you, you need secondary players. This is not yeah. 2015 anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, not, not to like make it an Eagle centric uh, ep- episode early on here, but like, no, I think, you know, Fangio was a big part of their 2022 success. Um, they're depending on who you listen to. It was more him than Jonathan Gannon in the, in the room. So they clearly respect him. And if he's sitting there saying, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to have James Bradbury match like CD lamb or Michael Gallup or Darius Slayton or Terry McLaurin, whoever, all these guys in their division, right? Like, he's going to sit there and say, I don't care what you think. Like you got to have to take this guy and you have to get rookie contracts because the Eagles are so like bloated contract wise at the top, right? Right. A lot of older players, a lot of bloated big contracts because they tried to, you know, run it back. They they made it to the Super Bowl and we're like, Oh, let's run it back. We're going to make it all again. Um, I I, I have a question too, based off of what you're saying about, overdrafting talent especially on the back end of this draft and there are a lot of teams that are in the same position as the Eagles right if we don't want to talk about the Eagles specifically but in general right do you see that positions especially in the secondary as that positional value significantly increases over the next five years that they start overdrafting that talent like crazy whereas maybe you don't draft DBs you know, in the top 10, but now you, now you kind of have to, right. Or the top 15 where you're, you know, what is a day two pick is now a day one pick, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting because now more than ever, I think teams are, are finding kind of diamonds in the rough and like, and with, with analytics and the rise of that and teams are much much more willing to adapt now than maybe almost any previous time. And I think teams are getting smarter with their approaches and things like that, uh, where you start to see, especially as classes, you know, if elite guys will we'll kind of see how the portal, if it kind of balances things out inevitably, but if more elite guys start returning and coming back for another year, right? Like, um, I'm trying to think of somebody this year, but like if Quinion Mitchell, for example, was like, I'm, I'm a projected second, first round pick at Toledo and I'm going to come back and play for Georgia or whoever for another year. And so like teams that could have picked him like 20 to 32 are sitting here saying, Oh, well he's not here. Now we have to look at this next tier of guys, but especially when it comes to DBs, I think you, you bring up a good point about like, positional value because safeties are going to start becoming important again right like that that's going to be we've we've kind of gone a little bit full circle to where safeties weren't important and then Mika Fitzpatrick and Marcus Williams and all these guys started hitting and teams went huh maybe maybe we need a safety right maybe maybe we kind of need that guy and I think it's going to kind of come a little bit full circle especially now if teams are going to try to play either too high where like you you have to have center fielders or if you're going to kind of copy a little bit of what Baltimore does with Kyle Hamilton and frequently bringing him towards the line of scrimmage you you needed elite safety to kind of fill that role um it so like at positional value DB is going to shift a little bit i think 
teams are starting to look more, I think organizationally, I think a lot of teams are leaning, starting to lean more towards corner, like coverage over pass rush because of the rise of schemed pressures and things like that, where it's like, okay, well, we can get 10 sacks out of Jadavian Clowney because we can do this with him. And it's only possible because, you know, we, we have guys that can cover on the back end. Um, so I think that's going to see a rise. It wasn't totally answering your question. I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, but um, I hope I answered enough correctly. So I want to flip it back over to the other side of the ball and go for it. Talk about the receiver class, because I think this is a really interesting and really fun class. I think it's really different from last year's where we had a little bit more of we had a lot more Z receivers. We had a lot more move guys who you put in motion. They're more slot options. We got a whole bunch of X, like alpha receivers on the outside. I wonder how teams kind of stack those guys up after Marvin Harrison Jr. Because, of course, I don't think anybody is going to catch MHJ in this class. I think he is, well, for me, he is my number one prospect in the class. But after that, you get like, there are a whole bunch of guys that you can legit legitimately say that guy can become an alpha dog wide receiver one at the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for like for example, uh, Daniel Jeremiah has Roma Dunze as his wide receiver too, and like a top six player. It's the um, brand. This is this is my brand. Yeah, and and it it's it is a little shocking to see because it's like Malik Neighbors is like that dude, right? But Roma Dunze could be like DeAndre Hopkins. Like that was the first name that I thought of when I watched Roma Dunze. Was that kind of like like you were saying that alpha dog? Like I'm gonna. That ball is somewhere near me. I'm coming down with it, right? DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Brown kind of of dude on the outside. And I think this class has a lot of those guys with you know him, Keon Coleman, for example. Like Coleman is awesome. Uh, just There's so much talent at wide receiver that I kind of wonder how it affects each other. Because like I could see a range where teams are like, if, if you're not picking in the top 15, you're not getting any of the top three. That, that's that's not happening. Um, you, you're not going to get a Dunze, Neighbors, MHJ. None of those guys are falling to you. But where that next tier of Keon Coleman, Troy Franklin, uh, Jalen Polk, guys like Brian that. Thomas. Yeah, where they, Brian Thomas especially, like where does that run start? And do teams go, okay, well, I can pick he I could he'll probably be available at like 46 and so I could take another guy here like how does this how do these runs affect each other uh I I I really am curious to see the draft stock of AD Mitchell because that to me is like you know Dane Brugler said teams are a bit lower on him because he's so raw but teams have kind of typically drafted that mold a lot higher than their grades and i think with a good combine he's gonna just he's gonna skyrocket like you're gonna see him start to go in the first round a little bit more consistently um brian thomas is another one i'm especially interested to hear how scouts are because how do like how do you because i have heard some teams like thomas over neighbors but i don't know if that's enough of a consensus um it's it, it's very interesting because of how different wide receiver like 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 troy franklin as well like his grades are all over the place oh yeah because 
because he is he's just fast like that that's his thing is it but teams have been like look at miami like look at what miami did this year with speed now granted like yes Jalen waddle and tyree kill are obviously great route runners too but like troy franklin if you just tell him to go like just run a just run a nine just go we're gonna get the ball in your hands like he's gonna put up huge crazy numbers he may not be the most refined receiver ever but like how like how do teams kind of balance okay he's raw with his game but damn if we can get him the ball in space he's taking it the house every time i think about that like with that second tier receivers like you said in your latest mock you have that second run starting at 17 with jacksonville taking thomas but i think that second tier of guys where you have thomas you have keon coleman you have ad mitchell all are kind of raw in terms of in terms of the refinement of their route running but I'll I'll take a swing on like guys like Keon Coleman who big fast and Keon Coleman was also one of the better punt returners in the country at 6'4, 215. Like you you're betting on that size and physical ability and you can mold something into that. Like if you think I, I, like I think a lot of coaches, especially and like a lot of GMs think they are a lot, they are really, really good at finding and developing talent. Everybody thinks they're really good at that because you have to in the NFL. I think a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into those that second tier of guys. Like, shoot, you could even put Jalen Polk in that sec in that second tier of like. You're, you're going to see Lad McConkey this week. Lad, Lad, McConkey, is, Lad is going to be up there, man. Lad's going to be up there. Um, like, I think even when you get into that day two of guys like Xavier Leggett, who are like, I think Leggett Tez Walker. A, Tez Walker. Walker's had a really rough. He had a really rough brutal day to day. You're gonna see a lot of those guys because you might not get this type yeah. of class. You might not get all these X receivers in the same class at the same time. Yeah, and and for this, um, like with receivers, a lot position coach matters almost as much as scheme fit. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know how much I can say publicly, but there are times where a position coach has gone in and overridden and been like, Hey, look, this guy's available. I can make him, you know, this, this top tier wide receiver. Um, it has happened in the past, uh, specifically with my Rams, but like it, it's, it has kind of happened in, in position coaches and development now, especially with these guys, like you were talking about Keon Coleman, like he has all the tools in the world. I would not be shocked. If he ran a four four, I wouldn't either. I like he has that. He has such crazy. Like yeah, sure. Is he the best separator in the world? No, but do you really care about that if he's gonna make mincemeat of? I yeah, mean, if like he's, if he's like, just broken on everybody. Yeah, like like George Pickens can't separate for anything. Does it matter? No, I it think, hasn't mattered. So I think the I think comparisons can get really kind of murky because we kind of translate oh this this gonna be what this player is career wise and numbers wise but it's more and more should be used for play style and body types when i see keon coleman i immediately think demarius thomas just that physical build and the speed and like force that they can generate Mm -hmm. like that they're the same type of player where like demarius thomas didn't run a lot of routes he didn't run a large variety of the route tree but he was really good at like slants, goes and overs, curls. That's yeah, all no. you gotta be good yeah. at. Yeah, I mean it's what DK Metcalf runs. 
I don't think people realize that DK Metcalf does like four things in Seattle and it like they pay him like a wide receiver one because he's really fucking good at it. He's, like he's the best in the league at those four things. Yeah, like, like it, it's all they it's said so, that. I mean, even coming out of it when he was in his draft class and there was so much yeah. discourse about his three cone or whatever, it was always the negative on him is that his route tree is so small. But yeah. if you're going to catch the ball every time it's thrown in your general direction, it doesn't really matter what you're running. Yeah, like that's that's kind of the thing that has changed my approach a little bit is, you know, I used to always I, – I used to laugh at a lot of scouts because they'd be like, don't tell me what a prospect can't do. Tell me what he can do. And I used to be like, that's ridiculous. Why in the world would I, like, not look at what he can't do to determine his value, right? But now I look and I'm like, yeah, I don't care that he doesn't run a huge route tree. Is he is he good after the catch? Is he good at the catch point? Okay, congrats. I have AJ Brown. I don't get. I don't care. And I think like, we're going like to see a lot more of that. We're going to see a lot more of that in the yeah. NFL. I think a lot of teams are going to go towards more guys who are better after the catch because of yeah. how many teams are limiting the explosive downfield plays. Yeah, exactly. Generate yeah. explosives. Just get I, the guy think, who can make people miss. I and think even schematically, just... like if you're X receiver on the outside, you really are not designed. To to run 70 different kinds of routes, right? Exactly. Every yeah. concept is four or five of the core things, and it's up to yeah. you to make those tweaks right. at the line of scrimmage, et cetera. So You're, like for me, with you, you we had we had kind of had this discussion a little bit about Jacob Cowing, JP. But like if I'm saying this guy is a slot only guy, I, I don't care if he can beat press or not. Right. Like it, it's such a small part of what he'll see that I'm I'm almost like, can he do damage after the catch? Is he a good route runner in space? Can he find holes in zone? Okay, I can work with that. Yeah. Right, like, right, like that's the thing is, I think you have to kind of grow and, and match that a little bit. Um, that, that was not a knock on you, JP. I meant no, like I saying, teams I have to kind of understand. That was one of the um, guys I'm a little lower on. Like, yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's very hard for me it, to it, get it, a guy that's that small. Yeah. And it's not like saying, like, I, I don't think small receivers can win in the NFL. We've obviously seen that. But it's very rare that He's, guys are he, that he is an small, outlier. Yeah. That that wiry frame that don't consistently create separation. Like Tank Dell yeah. consistently creates separation. Yeah. Like that that's the thing for is like cowing. I think cowing can run pretty good routes. Um, I just I just kind of worry, you know, if he has to make a tough catch over the middle, like it, does he have the frame to hold up for that? You're gonna um, get lit up. Yeah, and, and and things like that. Because uh, he, I think he only came in with like 29 arms, which is very small. Uh, granted, he is only like five eight. I want to say 167. I think is what I'm he came in up. at. I'm I think he up. came in at 167. I could have him mixed up with somebody else. Um, maybe that was Malik Washington. It was, it was somebody, but like they, they, he came in small. But for cowing, right? Like. He, his drops are a big problem, right? Um, because he's got very small hands. And it's like, how much does that necessarily translate? But Tank Dell also had a drop problem at Houston, right? It, like, how much of that changes? And with the right, you know, if you're sitting there at, like, pick 70 or whatever, and you're debating, like, let's say Jacob Cowing versus Tez Walker, and you have two different things, you're like, okay, well, I could make Jacob Cowing the next T.Y. Hilton as a position coach, which I'm not saying that that's not a pro comp or anything like that, but just like, you know, you're saying I can make him this 
versus Tez Walker, I think it's just kind of this guy. I think he, you, I think you'll lean a little bit more towards Jacob Cowing because you can fix that problem. Now, yeah, granted, if you fix both of their problems, I think Tez Walker is a bit more limited in what he can do. Tez Walker is very vertical. Yeah, he we talk about guys who are very limited in routes. Tez Walker where runs one route. Um, it, it it is a go and a curl, and like that's hey, that's fine. Like that is yeah. perfect. If you want that guy, he just that guy yeah, you just got to make sure you can catch the ball at the and end it, of it. Like it, once it gets to him, it might be a little bit of a question mark. But I think yeah. Cowing he weighed in. Uh, he measured in at 5'8", 165. 165, okay. And was the only player in Mobile with an under 70-inch wingspan. Yeah. So, you know, those numbers are going to be really, really tough to get past. Yeah. But I think a lot of teams are going to look at the success of Tang Dell and kind of be like, oh, I can kind of turn him into this. I think yeah. they are fundamentally different players. I think it, It's interesting because like four, even three years ago, a guy like Jacob Cowing would be falling, right? You'd be like, he's just too small. Oh, he would it, not get play. He, and now we're sitting here like or something. We we've changed body typing except for a quarterback. We're <laughs> we're body shaping quarterbacks now. Like that's the thing. <laughs> if you're under six foot, get I don't care. Get get off my t- I like that's gonna start to become a thing after what's happening with Bryce Young. People are gonna go like punt. I like I feel so bad for Noah Fafita because he's really good, but he's like really five good. nine. And I'm like, there's no way. There's, it's just not happening. It's not gonna happen. Yeah, big dog. Um, but like with Jacob Cowing, like he'd be like a sixth round guy that comes in and is like a slot wide receiver three, catches 45, 50 passes, and everybody goes, he shouldn't have been a sixth round pick. And now we're sitting here going, no, he's getting top 100 grades from teams. And like three years ago, you'd have been like, him? Really? Yeah. It's like I think it just kind of reflects how teams are changing their processes. And are a little bit more open-minded now because we have such a wide array of useful tools to find out information now. Yeah. And the, the spread of the Shanahan system makes a living off receivers like that anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. kind of the spread RPO game coming in and, and changing a little bit of that. Um, just so, especially like to your point earlier, JP, of teams wanting more explosive yak. If you can force a team into base, there's not a linebacker that's going to be able to catch Jacob Cowling in um, the open field. Malachi Corley, Corley's Corley's bigger. Like Corley's a big dude. Corley's, yeah. But he came in at like two eighteen, I think. Let me check. Five eleven, two eighteen. Like it, like a, he was jacked up. Um, like it, it, just guys like that, I think are going to be a little bit more valuable. Like even if they're only strictly a slot only guy. Who cares if they're going to get 60 targets on your team and make the most out of all of them? Exactly. I think uh, I'm pulling up Malachi Corley's measurement right now because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Malachi Corley was 5'10", 215. 215. Look, I think uh, there are comparisons out there that are really, really goofy. He is the most Debo of a receiver we're going to get in a while. Because yeah. when you watch him play, he does not play like a receiver. He plays like yeah. he plays like a tight end who wants to run people over. Yeah. At, there was a funny rep today during the senior bowl. He gets the ball in a reverse and he tries to go run over Cole Bishop. And they got to tell him after, like, dude, we're not tackling. It's not live yet. Like you can chill <laughs> a little bit. But I think with 
the changing of offenses and to where you want to get that yak and be able to create explosives that way instead of trying to go like deep ball or no ball. But I think Malachi Corley is going to go like day two because you just you can't find guys like that a lot. Yeah, especially, you know, if you're a team that is going to call up low a dot, you know, I think like if you're the team that, for example, drafts like Bo Nix, right, you're (laughs) going to want you're going to want a yak guy afterwards because you got to kind of make the most of all of that yeah and yeah eight out of of 0.5 i will tell you this is it's related to our wide receiver topic i watched the palmer from uab oh yeah he was the x receiver huge and crazy fast at uab but their quarterback, I think, had an A dot like of actually A dot in college football. Yeah, it was like I think it was like four point three yards. I want to say um, I'd have to look at PFF numbers for that. But like I felt bad watching him because he would just he was just doing so much cardio. Like he's this huge X guy that is like just get me the ball downfield. He got given he all like nope, nope, gonna... he got given all the F off routes. Like yeah. you go you go do this and we'll go play somewhere else. But yeah. Somewhere else where I think the schematic changes in both college football and the NFL are affecting the body types and how we evaluate position. I've talked about this a lot before with you guys, but the evaluation of defensive line and edge prospects has changed so much with the tight front and how we want to play defense up front. Cause you're going to see, you're seeing a lot of guys. I hate it. I hate it a little bit. Schematically, like, get why I get why you want to do it, but. You're creating all these guys who play the run to the pass, which is great, but you don't have anybody who is a legitimate, like, pass rusher. I think they're all, like, everybody's got a long arm. Everybody's got a bull rush, but there's no, like, there's no true speed guy. Chop Robinson is one of the true speed guys that you say we have in in this draft class. Um, I think Adisa Isaac also can win that way. I think Latu occasionally wins with that burst but he's more of a i see him as more of like a counter pass rusher i think he's yeah. more of a technician with the hand with the hand swipes and then he what he does is he tries to set t set linemen up outside so then he can do the inside moves yeah it's and i very, think like like austin booker is kind mm-hmm. of the explosive pass rusher on the outside um nelson somebody, caesar is that way nelson caesar uh mo kamara from colorado state He's he's a little bit undersized, but like Javon Solomon. Oh, I love well. Solomon. Have you watched Solomon? Like, yeah, have, I watched like 245 and they put him at a four eye. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it was horrendous. It, he, has a, he has a horrendous his tight, stance tight. is so funny because he's, he's, so he's squatting like a frog in a four <laughs> eye. And I'm like, he's 6'2, 240. Man, please get this man in a wide nine so I can actually watch him correctly. But I think that's the thing now because of. The space in college football, you're only afforded what you can do, like with who you got. So I think the tight front has kind of, and the mint front has like helped defenses as a whole, but it's really screwed up evaluation. Will Will McDonald last year as well. Will McDonald's like that. Huge thing with him. To an extent, Will Anderson playing for Dallas Turner this year, although I think Dallas Turner is different because they dropped Dallas Turner into coverage a lot more. Because he's, a, he's just a lot like he and Will are going to be compared a lot through this process. Will is a much better run defender 
but I think Dallas Turner is a bit more of he's more fluid in coverage. He actually looks like he looks like a three four uh, edge defender yeah. than Will Anderson was a four three hand in the dirt guy. Yeah, yeah. So I was wanted to ask you, JP, about like body types. You brought up Dallas Turner, and I was thinking about Micah Parsons coming out of Penn State a couple years ago, and how Dallas specifically uses him, and they let put him off the ball a lot, and he's got that like hybrid build. You know, how much of that do we see in this draft class? And, you know, are we going to see teams start to let players like that just come off the edge? Because it feels like there was a lot, you know, left on the field for Michael Parsons this year. It might be Cowboy specific, but I also feel like I see a lot of that in college football where they put these players, you know, off ball, off ball and in coverage when sometimes I feel like they'd be a lot more effective on the line of scrimmage. You know, AJ, what do you think? Well, I uh, I wish the Rams had learned not to put oh, a certain a certain pass rusher out in coverage, <laughs> Michael Hoyt. Um, but like, yeah, no, I think to your point, there are a lot of teams uh, starting to do that. Like Purdue, if you watched Purdue this year at all, I love I love Ryan Walters' defenses. They both of those edge rushers had over I think 150 snaps in coverage this year, but which is. Uh, mind-boggling to me when you have when you have nick scourton or caraway whichever whichever name you want to go call him by and you're just not telling him to just go rush the passer every time but i think i don't know if if there's an outright like like sort of like micah parsons this year but i think next year harold perkins is going to be a very interesting um abdul carter is going to be abdul carter carter carter's Insane. I he, he I, might have been the best player on that on that defense that is gonna have a bunch he, of first-rounders. Yeah, and last year I thought he was too. Like Abdul Carter like hit the ground running. He's it's scary. It's it's honestly scary how absurdly athletic he is at his size. But, but to like, your question, Karina, I think I think we talked about it a little earlier with like Mike McDonald and trying to emulate the Ravens. I think we're gonna see a lot more of like, hey. Can you sim get pressures. the yeah. drop in pre- in coverage because of all the sim pressures, all the creepers that you're going to run? We're going to we're going to see that a lot. Of course, you're going to get teams like the Jets, like the Texans, like the 49ers that you're going to get that still attacking downhill in your face four three edge. I mean, yeah. even the Saints still play that way. The Jaguars are going to play like play like that this year with Ryan Nielsen. So it just depends on what you want to run. But I think as the tight and mint front kind of change college football, I think we're going to see a lot more of those guys like like Darius Robinson, who is a monster, yeah, phenomenal like two, player, 280, yeah. like 6'5", 280, playing on the edge. But you're going to see him as being like, hey, maybe we can kick this guy inside. Him, him and Brandon Dorless. Dorless is such an interesting eval because he's yeah. such a fun player. But he was 290 pounds playing the edge. Slim yeah. down to 272 for the Senior Bowl doesn't look the same. Like yeah. it, it, I think he needs to keep that weight on yeah. to be as effective as he was. But you're going to see teams be like, hey, maybe we can play this guy as a base end on early downs, kick him inside yeah. on passing downs, and kind of live like that, especially in those 4-3 heavy defenses. Yeah. But I think when you play like – when you play like the Ravens, when you play like those, what what Seattle is going to be, right? going to run, you're going to want to get those guys who are kind of more the the heavy fives, and yeah. that's something like with the tight front, yeah. you a lot of the heavy five where they're kind of 
in-betweenish, those tweeners are going to start being those five techs, and you play them at that spot early downs. Maybe you kick them outside on passing downs. Yeah, you know what's interesting about evaluator? It just makes the it when you look at the class. I was looking through your draft, AJ, and I think it becomes you're drafting edge players not just off brute size and strength. It's now a need based position as well and scheme based position, which is unique. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very scheme and fit based for edges. I think one of the one of the players that actually you and I disagreed upon on our in the mock draft was Jared Burst. And yeah. you have Burst going twenty six to the uh, to the Buccaneers. I I don't want to spoil because I do have a mock draft coming out in a couple weeks after. He'll go higher. Yeah, I have him going fourteenth to the Saints. Yeah. yeah, but that's just because he's. I don't see him as a edge like a three four edge or like a bigger yeah. like it's it's three. interesting because it's because i was actually going to bring in that point with the saints were kind of like the pioneers in the big ends right camera jordan yeah. is like 280 uh to pass it pass it is passing is like 285 right he's uh, huge uh who was it it was the houston peyton turner peyton turner yeah peyton he was turner, two two eight but now they've kind of flipped back a little bit more to that. Um, like Carl Granderson, who had a great year for them. He's 261. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah Foskey came in at 265. They just spent a second rounder on him. Right. Like you kind of, they were here with the bigger ends and now they're trying to add a little bit more speed on the outside, trying to combat the like the more mobile quarterbacks. Um if you have the bigger ends, you can get away with that when you have elite linebacker play because the linebackers will will pursue yeah, linebackers not, everything yeah. up. Um, which New Orleans has has had a lot of, but I think it's interesting that they're kind of changing their approach as uh, Pete Werner kind of gets closer to free agency. Demario Davis gets a little bit older. Um, it, it's it's kind of interesting to see how dynamics change with pass rusher, but you know especially. I think now the line of pass rusher is just starting to become more of like a, what does my, what do my coaches like? Right. Like do my coaches like, do you want a longer guy? Do you not want a longer, do you not care? Do you like, like what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want? Especially. Um, I think that's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic because the base is really starting to blur now. Yeah. Um, like, especially like, cause if you were saying, well, this guy's like two forty five. We're a four down team. I'm I'm not going to draft him, but well now all of a sudden we're we're still technically four down, but I can drop him out, or we can yeah, do this but, and that with different pressure looks. And so now you've completely changed your game. He's out in coverage. It, there's a whole. It's 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 hard to nail the edge position now because of that kind of blurring, and what teams have kind of looked for, especially when you're doing a mock draft early on. You don't necessarily know arm length, so you can't be like, okay, well, they only draft guys with like, like that hit this threshold in the arm length, right? Like the Rams have loved longer edge rushers forever, um, but you like when you when you make these mock drafts, like like this was written before Senior Bowl, before Shrine Bowl measurements, you don't necessarily have that, so you just kind of go, yeah, he looks like arms, yeah, <laughs> right, right, like Chris Braswell. I'm like, yeah, okay, this this guy's it's long as hell. I I, yeah. I love Chris Braswell. Oh, he's like, such a fun. So high on him. I I'm like I spent a first round pick on Chris Braswell. And I he look is back. a yeah. Dan Campbell ass player. That's yeah. 
I had him yeah. like I think him and Detroit are a perfect fit. Yeah. I in my in my Detroit specific mock draft, I gave them Chris Braswell in the first. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think your point on like drafting that 240 pound guy and be like, hey, maybe like we're a four down team, but maybe we're three and a stand-up or something that looks a little bit like that. Like again, it looks like the mint front where you yeah. have your jack kind of being that stand-up. It, it's very interesting because now a lot of teams' bases are five down. Right. Yep. Like, right. Like if you look, I'm going to go back to the fucking Eagles, but like, but like they have to play five down because oh. their edge rushers are Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick. Like you're, you're not going to ask those guys to put hand in the dirt. And so like, when you look at like a, a tendency chart, they come in as a three, three, five, but it's really a five, one. Yeah. And so like that, that's true. becoming a lot of base now. Uh, across the board and when you do that you need to beef up your defensive line mm-hmm. um so I, I think there's there's a great thread by c mike spin move um about like interchangeable parts of a defensive line where like if you lose one guy it doesn't just impact him but it also impacts how you play everybody else and i think that yeah. specifically now more than ever is starting to become a thing because of how just how much communication is involved, how much more complicated schemes are and what they run and how communication works. I think it's, it, especially this year is, it's going to be fascinating. I think. Yeah. I think the one thing that of course it all it is matter for since beginning of time for a defensive line and especially edge play, but it matters important. So important now is get off. You have to have, you have to be explosive within those first couple of yards because yeah. I think of explosive, I mean, me personally, I think of explosive in a couple of different ways. I think of it like explosive bend around the edge. Like you brought up Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick is explosive, but he's bending around. He's yeah. bending off the edge around the corner. Or you can be Nick Bosa explosive where he's explosive speed to power. through you. You know, yeah, like speed you to can power. multiple yeah. ways, like speed to power, like you said, multiple ways you can win like that. I think and we're looking at this draft, I think there are a couple of guys where, like, you see the Bosa, like, speed to power in Dallas Turner. You see it with Jared Burst. But then you see yeah. that explosiveness with Chop Robinson around mm-hmm. the edge. He's going to want to try and get around you. So how they evaluate that is going to be really interesting. Yeah, and it, and it comes down to team, like, team building, right? And, like, you're, you're the kind of trend that you want. Um, I am very fascinated to see uh, like Marshawn Nealon, for example. Ooh, like, such a fun player. A- athletic as hell, right? But he's not, you're not going to ask him to bend around the edge. And like his his usage, I think, is going to be interesting. But he, he's obviously got explosive tools for days. I think, I think Austin, I think Austin Booker. Uh, the senior bowl tracked him, Nealon, as the fastest uh, D lineman on the GPS. He's, he's crazy good. Him and Darius Robinson are almost. Not identical, but like that kind of same mold. Uh, I really like Brennan Jackson from Washington yeah, State. Productive. As, um, Jalen Harrell from Michigan is another guy who is is tiny, but he he's gets got burst. He's got burst for days. Uh, one of the guys that stood out a couple of times in the senior or sh- Shrine Bowl, excuse me, for speed to power was Ayabi Oki. Oh yeah, um, Michigan transfer. Like, yeah, he was just like just running, running through guys. Through. And yeah. so, it's, so it's kind of interesting to see like how do like how, how each team starts to transition towards that with pass rushers. Um this year's class 
one thing that when I was writing a lot of team needs, there are so many teams that need a defensive tackle, right? Like Ooh, either yeah. for depth or to boost up front because it, defensive tackle and linebacker. Again, uh, like, it's the schematic, like as offenses get bigger and run more gap scheme and want to yeah. run the football at you, you can't play 280 pound defense tackles anymore yeah. unless you're Aaron Donald. Yeah. Right. Like, unless you, unless you you are like the best defensive player since Lawrence, since Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's kind of crazy to me, but like, I think when you look at, for example, the one that everybody's talking about right now is Dallas, right? Right. And like, like Dallas has a good pass rusher defensive tackle in Osa Digizua. He's a, he's a phenomenal player. Awesome player. They drafted Mozzie Smith to be a nose tackle and then had him drop 35 pounds down to 290 for reasons. No reasons because they still lined him up in the A gap. So like like what was the point? And nobody knows. I'm like, he's in Dallas. Give him like six plates of barbecue a day and he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll, he'll get back up to that weight in no time. But like so many teams don't have a spine of a defense. And yes. I think I yes. think it also leads leads back not just in run defense but like San Fran picked on uh Devondre Campbell a ton in in that game against against Green Bay like when you when you have line like now we're starting to come back to linebacker is getting extremely important important I think when you look at how defenses want to be played I think we've gotten out of the you know with playing the penny front and spinning the safety down into the box because you might love your 205-pound safety a lot. He's not going to meet a 330-pound puller and take him on, and you're gonna yeah. you don't you're not gonna win that battle. Yeah. So maybe um, if you want to keep those guys in the box, you keep them um, along the edge like Kyle Hamilton, or you gotta have bigger linebackers who can kind of take those guys on. Which kind of transitions me to where we, where I want to go next with this with the linebacker and safety class not being that great which I yeah. think is also it's also a reflection of how different the college game is compared to where the NFL game is going. Because right now, like, shoot, you could ask 10 different draft people who their number one linebacker is, you might get 10 different answers. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, Junior Colson has gotten a Coulson, lot. Colson is good. Like, he's yeah. good. He's gotten a lot of a lot of um, uh, vote behind Cooper. his uh, Edron Cooper, who is extremely fast, like yeah. he is—he looks like a run and chase. Will uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. has the bloodlines? He has the size. He is a thumper. Like he is yeah. the—if you're looking for a linebacker who can take on pullers, like that is the guy you want. Yeah. Um, and then Peyton Wilson. I mean, he's got an extensive, extensive injury history, but yeah, he, he's productive. You cannot—you yeah. can't fight the numbers if he wasn't. If he didn't have all those injuries, I would be so if, much. If he didn't have Brian Bosworth's shoulders, I yeah. would be like first rounder, like no doubt yeah. about it. Without but a doubt. It, it's interesting with this linebacker group because there are different styles of of players, especially. Um, a lot of the guys that you mentioned, I think, play well at Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cooper is probably a little bit better weak side, um, kind of kind of as like a Jeremiah Wusakoromoa kind of pursuit style player. Um but like Trotter and Cooper, not Cooper, sorry. Um, Colson, thank you. Like these guys, these guys, these guys are your traditional mics. And I think this is where we can kind of give Detroit a little bit of credit because they were ahead of the curve, 
are like now teams are starting to go, oh, oh shit. A lot of gashed. We got we got annihilated by like split zones and and gap and crack toss and things like that because our linebackers crack toss is so crack crack toss that's all that's all green bay ran on on dallas right like they didn't bust out anything crazy they were like we're gonna run split zone and crack toss 20 times and dallas was like linebacker just like hey i can't do this they got like like, demo clark out there like come on um but like it's really I think when you look at this class as a whole, there are there are the thumper kinds. Like I think Maris Leofau oh, like, yeah, just wants you... to hit. I think he just wants to fucking hit. Um Maema Najong Meta out of Wisconsin. You told me he loves gotta, contact. Gotta like he is him. high energy, high energy, like he will just fly into a gap and just take on a guy right away. And you're like, oh hell yeah, this is fun. Like sign me up for this. Like there are guys like that, but then I also think um, guys like Jalen Ford out of Texas. Oh I yeah, think can be a very smart, more coverage oriented Mike. Because like when you look at Texas, they had a phenomenal defense this year. A lot of guys who were going into the NFL. Ford was really the key cog of all of it. Um, it was he he was the green dot essentially for I that think- defense in the in the glue for him. And so I think there's a lot of different molds. In this class, like you know, Tyron Hopper, for example, is another one. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg, I know some people, are, but like he, um, JD Bertrand, I know it has impressed a lot of people down in Mobile. Yep. Um, like, and then you even have your like Sam style guys of like, um, Maybe oh, so. I'm blanking, I'm blanking on his name, the UTEP line, Tyrese Knight. Yeah. Right? Like he's he's a, he's a thumper. He's on, he's a little bit smaller, but him, uh, Darius. Muasau from UCLA, smart, physical kind of linebacker. Uh, like there's, so, but then you have like John Trey Hunter, who's a former safety turned linebacker. James right? Williams, like, former safety. James turned. Williams. I have no idea where I'd play James Williams, but as long as he's not getting targeting penalties, I'm just gonna tell him to run forward and go hit a guy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, right? like it, there, there are a lot of of different molds in this linebacker class, and. I think teams need to kind of be a little bit smarter with how they handle it um, and be a little bit more uh, better about talent identification, especially in that group. If you're going to, if what is, I think is going to be the meta with teams trying to start copying Mike McDonald, a, you need guys that can cover uh, like, like just, Mm -hmm. just flat out. You need guys that can handle themselves in space. But you also need physicality because he blitzes those linebackers like crazy. Like Roquan in, I think Queen, Roquan, like- Patrick Queen, uh, ironically Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner were the four like most blitzed linebackers last well, I mean, year. Bobby Wagner, that's, that's for Bobby Wagner. That's that's <laughs> pretty, Bobby Wagner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's all you can really do with Bobby Wagner right now at this point. I um, think the uh, concern is Peyton Wilson's medicals. Like, it's pretty. It's, it's, I know it's bad, but like, like it's, how bad? It's defense, Michael Penix. Like, it's, yeah. we're at that point where like this yeah, guy is really talented, and you see it on the film. So but, good, but like, please be a family man. Yeah, it, well, it, it, a lot of questions. It's almost like I'm gonna try. He's a first round caliber player that we're saying could go in the third round because of his medicals. Like, like that's it's it's extensive because like on film, 
like there, there was probably not a better linebacker in college football last year outside of like oh, yeah. I was just looking through some of his tape and I'm like, damn, like this guy is really good. You, he's you know, everywhere. Well, yeah, he's everywhere. He's all over the field. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Nicobe Dean. Same kind of issues with <laughs> medical. So yeah. I, when I watched uh, Peyton Wilson, I kind of thought to myself, uh, last year I was not the biggest Drew Sanders guy. Because yeah. I thought he was a guy that really didn't have a position and didn't really like he was fast but didn't know how to play linebacker. I think Peyton Wilson is what everybody wanted Drew Sanders to be. Yeah. But I you, you I know myself into you those. know who I think if Peyton Wilson is healthy, do you know who I think is like a similar uh, play style? I don't know, I'm not I'm necessarily listening. speaking build. Um CJ Mosley. Ooh uh, with the Jets. I think I think will be like for me personally, I think CJ Mosley is the better of the Jets linebackers. Yes. He just doesn't get the credit like Quincy Williams does because he doesn't have the tackling numbers. But like he he handles those responsibilities, right? Like it's kind of like Shaq Thompson and Frankie Lavu. Like Frankie Lavu is a very popular name because he he does a lot of the like he's always he's flying forward, he's getting to the quarterback, like he's doing all these things. And meanwhile, it's Shaq Thompson holding down the fort. It's kind of similar with CJ Mosley, but CJ Mosley's like a top 10 linebacker in the NFL. Like he's, yeah. he's fucking awesome. Yeah. And I think Peyton Wilson Peyton has, has that kind of upside. Right? Like that upside and ability to be a top 10, top 15 linebacker in the NFL. It's just like, is he going to hit, is he going to meet Derrick Henry in the A gap and his shoulders just burst into dust? Like we yeah. have no idea. Yeah. High risk, high reward. Yeah. yeah. I really like the Jalen Ford. Uh, conversation because I really do. I like Ford as a player. I think he's mm-hmm. very light. But if you look at what they had at Texas and where he was most successful, he was in front of two monster defensive tackles. So you think about teams that already have like space eaters up front, yeah, and you can kind of keep him clean and let that, him. That's ride. that's why I sent him to Atlanta. Like, yeah, they've got Brady Jarrett, they've got Onyemata, um, Calais Campbell was there this year. Um, I don't know if they'll re-sign him or not under Raheem Morris. I kind of think they will, just looking at like um, scheme and everything like that. But like he, those are huge people eaters up front, and they, kind of keeping guys clean. And I think that's where the value of like a defensive tackle, right? Like Tavondre Sweat, yeah. is like massive. He is like a ready-made run defense. I mean, he. I'm not kidding you. I, I said I was watching film with it with a scout buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago over sweat and we were looking at him and he was like, I have not seen a guy that big in a decade. Like, like just like he's rock. He's, he's kind of like, he's like, he looks like the mountain on game of Thrones. He, <laughs> he was like six, three, six, four, three, 46 was what it was his listed size. And and I know for a fact, Buddy did not weigh in. Oh, he didn't. He, he didn't do weigh-ins at the Senior Bowl. I because he was going to tip the scales. He was. He, I would have. He was going to be big. Everybody, uh, when they asked weight, I would have said yes. Yeah, and he he was not. He, he I guarantee you, he would have come in over three sixty. Yeah, and like, I guarantee you, he would have. Andre Sweat is the power, just the yeah. sheer like yeah, it, power that he brings. It's, it's not head. just like, like he doesn't just look like Tarzan play like Jane. Like he looks like Tarzan and plays like Tarzan. Like he, yeah. he can just, he can plug gaps phenomenally. Well, I think, I think he can also hold his own as a pass rusher, I you think know, like, so like Byron, Byron Murphy is the better pass rusher of the two 
like without a doubt, in my opinion. But Tavondre Sweat, you know, isn't just going to be like a plug and play nose tackle. Um, he flashes of some short area burst and quickness mm-hmm. that you don't really expect from a guy no. who's 360 plus. So if you can get yeah. that consistently, and of course, pad level is going to be the biggest issue. But yeah. if you want like a defensive tackle who is a ready made, like you have a guy at linebacker who you want to keep clean, like that's he is the perfect. He is the perfect four three nose tackle. Like he, I think, I, I think he can be like right away. I think he can be like a Grover Stewart kind of player, Ooh. of just like a high impact run defender guy you can, can keep out there virtually all the time. Now, granted, Indy has kind of rotated him as time has gone on, but like you want to talk about, I'm just going to put him at one tackle, and you are you not are going to run the ball that way. Yeah, we're going to put him at one tech, and good luck figuring everything else out. Um, we have successfully managed to go an entire hour without talking about the quarterbacks. So I'm going to end that now. Uh, in your mock, you have, I believe, six quarterbacks going in the first two days. But after the first three, it kind of the next quarterback is J.J. McCarthy at 19. But even then, like this class, uh, it's very similar to the Golf and Wentz 2016 year where you got two guys at the top. and I mean, I guess this year you have a third in Jaden Daniels, but there's a lot of there's still a lot of projection with Jaden. Yeah, Daniels. but yeah, um, this class is really really intriguing. Yeah, it, like with Jaden Daniels, I don't know if he'll ever be like a top ten player on anybody's boards, you know. But like if you're New England, you're sitting there at three, you're sitting there going like, we got to get something at quarterback. We're not going to get another opportunity. Probably anytime soon, right? Like, if you're assuming that you're going to be as successful as you will be with Gerard Mayo, just kind of like modernizing the offense a little bit, um, like New England is going to win seven, eight games next year. Like, they're not going to be a top three pick again. And like, you have to take a quarterback here. You you absolutely have to, even if Marvin Harrison Jr. is there. And it's and it's not like Jane Daniels is a bad player either. Jane Daniels is pretty damn good at football. Um, I, I think that's where the argument comes in is he's like, yes, he's not a top two quarterback in this class. And that's but he's a damn good three. Yeah. And uh, like the, the, the top two are the top two. Anybody who's going to try to sell you Daniels over Drake May or God forbid Bonix over Drake May, it's like they're just lying to you. They, they're straight up lying to you. Um, I, yes, I am calling certain people out on that. And I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Like if you're gonna try to sell sell me on those, you're just I got beachfront property for you. That, so <laughs> again, this the play style is very similar, and I'm I'm not saying they have very similar careers, but it's hard not to look at Jane Daniels and think RG three. It's very yes. hard. Yeah. In the way that they play football, like RG three, again. Oh, first of all, if you're calling Jane Daniels Lamar Jackson, stop it. Mm-hmm. He is not – you're doing a disservice to Jaden Daniels by calling him Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson was much, 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 much more refined as a passer coming out of I, I think people, I think people we, kind of forget. That Lamar Jackson was running a Bobby Petrino offense at yeah. Louisville. Like this is not yeah. like he was running the fun and gun spread. But when you look at Jaden Daniels, two things stand out. They're the boom plays. He got so much better as a deep ball passer – and when you have the explosive downfield arm with the explosive legs, 
it's hard not to think RG3, who had the explosive downfield arm mm-hmm. and the ability to take the ball 65 yards. I think the process has to improve for Jane Daniels, especially in the short area. But if you yeah. put him on a team that can harness that ability of creating those explosives, sky's the limit, man. Like that's yeah. that's the type of guy you're gonna get. Right. Like I think like you know, I had him going to New England at three. Um and I think with New England, the benefit is they have a really good defense. So, like, it's not all on Jane Daniels right away to just go out there and you, if you don't put up 4,500 yards, we're winning four games, right? Um, and they also, you know, like, they struggled a little bit this year with health at running back because they had to throw out Zeke out there because Ramondre Stevenson was dealing with injuries. They were but taking like, 50 carries a game. Yeah, but like they've they have the ability to like build a steady run game, and with Jane Daniels, like he adds another plus one to your run game, which is something that they they right like New England had to adjust from Tom Brady being able to just completely dissect the defense in two seconds and check into a run against an ad, like to Mac Jones does not know what's going on on the football field right now, and so teams will just like all right, all right we're just gonna send it blitz and then the run game was stuff because Mac Jones was just like not handling the checks. And then they sent in threw everything off with Matt Patricia and Joe judge and had Whatever all, these, they were running. all these different play callers and the offensive coaching fell apart, right? Like there's, there were so many factors that fed into that offense, but like bottom line, New England's offensive line can still kick some butt up front. Now they'll have, they'll have to Trent Brown. They'll have, he's probably gone. Yeah. That's but, Trent, Trent Brown, I don't know if you read the stories about Trent Brown, but he was publicly saying he was going to join an NFC team in the locker room like in November. Like, <laughs> like he, he'll probably be gone, but on Wayne, will probably be back. He's so real for that. He's so yeah. real. For yeah, like, like, I'm sitting here going, uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, please come to Los give Angeles, me, please. Give me somewhere that doesn't snow in November. Yeah. Like, give, give me somewhere you, where it's warm. Yeah, like that man played for, played in college in Florida. Like he's he's one he's of sick of that cold weather shit. Yeah, uh, but like I, you know, Trent Brown was a top ten left tackle last oh, year yeah. and and the year before. Like he's going to be tough to replace. And I think that argument, a lot of people were concerned if they kept Bill Belichick, they were they were going to trade back from three and take like Olu, which in a vacuum is a fine pick. Like Olu Fashanu is going to be Tyron Smith two point but like. At three, now with the new coaching staff that opens up, especially when Gerard Mayo comes in and says, we're going to take the best player available at the most important position, which is, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wonder <laughs> what their draft plans look like, right? Like, I see I see so many mock drafts that are like, Pittsburgh trades up to land LSU superstar Jane Dan. I'm like, stop what? it. Stop it. Like, the, nobody, no team is giving, the, nobody's given up a top three pick. Nobody's given up a top four pick this year because Arizona's sitting there going, Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm on down. I hope you enjoy the desert, buddy. Like, I hope get ready to learn that. cactuses. Like, you don't even have to change jersey colors. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I hope you enjoyed wearing red because you're going to wear yeah. that for the next 15 years. Yeah, right. Like, it's, it's these kind of things that I was just, that's why I don't like trades because I think a lot of them are sensationalized. They're, the they're very like fantasy world where like, oh, I'm going to have a team like Atlanta, like trade up into like the top three or like no, trade up to number one overall. 
And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and it, it, it's so funny because the trade values, I think, are a, are a big problem because when I have done trades in the past, I've used precedents like uh, big-time trades in the past, especially into the top 10, but also like trade value charts um, like uh, Fitzgerald Spielberger on over the counter or over the cap, excuse me. Um, over the counter, but like <laughs> prescription, uh, prescription trade value charts. Yeah, prescription. Um, <laughs> that's my that's what my doctor needs to give me for my sicko uh, takes. <laughs> but like, but like the the trades that you see online are so funny to me because it's like we like do you, would you send four first round picks to trade up for Caleb Williams and it's like you can't even do that buddy like unless you have them unless you have four in the next two years you you can't send picks in 2027 and 2028 the NBA well you trade right. in picks in 2030 right. like if Sam Presti was an NFL general manager he'd be so pissed because he can't right. get picks in 2032 right like, I won't need the 2032 pick maybe someone else will but yeah. I'm sure he sits in the shower and just thinks about it. He's like, how far ahead can I trade a pick away? I don't need my 2040 first round pick. You can have it. I'm, I'm terrified that the Rams are going to send that first round pick for like Marshawn Lattimore or, oh, or somebody. Like, they are so ready to I'm give just, those picks away. Like, but I'm also sitting here going like, guys, you said you wanted to reset. And like, like they spent all, all last year going, well, you know what? This year we might suck a little bit, but we've got a first rounder and a lot of cap space next year. And now they're sitting there going, "Well, we might not make a pick with our first rounder." And it's like, God, stop, stop. Hey, you know what? They did spend their rebuilding year. They did. They did one year at boarding school and decided, nope, I don't like it. I'm coming back to the states, baby. Um, yeah, fucking picks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think the. The quarterback class is really interesting because, of course, after the top three, I guess four, if you include J.J. McCarthy, who will probably end up going round one because I think teams are going to get really quarterback needy. I think he, I think J.J. McCarthy desperately needs, like, he needs the year to kind of figure out what an NFL offense is and how to process and play without play action at an NFL level. But yeah. Amongst you guys, I'm asking both of you, who is the day two quarterback you most you're more than willing to like take that swing on? You, AJ, you want me to go? go first? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um mine is Michael Pratt. Yes, sir. I think I think Michael Pratt, it, like just when you look at things that translate into the NFL, every snap he's consistent, he's got great intangibles. I know a lot of scouts like that kind of gets a little rah-rah. But like he really is, he, he's a, a tremendous leader, a great competitor. Like like you see all of these things with Michael Pratt, but also like on the field, pretty good arm, great work in the intermediate levels of the field. I think he could work from the pocket better than a lot of other quarterbacks in this class. Um, which especially if you want to go under center, which is starting to become a little little bit more meta. Um, I think Michael Pratt is already there, and he still has room to grow, and. I am worried a little bit because he came in with very small hands, just nine in mobile, which is scouts somewhat kind of make a little too much out of hand size. But I mean, it it's kind of a thing when you look at Jared Goff and Kenny Pickett, they do have a lot of issues um, in, in, in weather. <laughs> right. And so like, I think Michael Pratt, I, I really 
there's a lot of connections with Michael Pratt to Denver with Sean Payton. And I think that would be a tremendous, tremendous a fit. fit yeah. Like if it's not Bo Nix for Denver, I think it would be Michael Pratt. Yeah. I love the uh, Pratt to Denver shout. I, I would say Michael Pratt is a day two quarterback. I'm more than I'm more than willing to take a swing on him on day two. I just think the touch that he throws with in the intermediate level, like he is consistently layering throws over second level defenders. His arm is fine. He's got an NFL arm. Yeah, it's great. It's he he can win an NFL level with that arm, but he wins with anticipation with touch. And that's something like you can't teach. He's good enough in the pocket to make people miss. But yeah. I think like, I, I, like I think in like five years, we could talk about Michael Pratt very similarly to how we talk about Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Like he's a he is a good quarterback. I think yeah. he you put him in an offense that was a lot of the like you said, under center play action, like and not just like the bootleg rollout game. I'm thinking like the deep drop seven, like seven step or like five step out of play action. And you start hammering, hammer those dig routes, man. Like overs. We're, we're running drive. Like let, let's get, let's get this thing cooking. I love the Detroit shout. Uh, I'm not Detroit, uh, Denver. Denver. Um, I think new Orleans is also linked to Michael Pratt, which is very funny because he's he's right down the street. Also goes to new Orleans. Yeah. (laughs) They're sharing ideas, but Karina, who is your day two quarterback you'd more than willing to take a swing on? Um, Spencer Rattler, because I'm Ooh, yeah. Spencer Rattler. I yeah. love Spencer Rattler. I know maturity, he's got a wow in an interview. They're going to ask him some hard questions and he's going to have to answer them. Personality question marks aside, I watched his tape, especially – I think his tape last year was actually a little bit better than it was this year. Yeah. And he stood in the pocket, and he delivered some ridiculous throws. He can really drive that ball in there. I think he's got better patience and footwork than people give him credit for. And I came away so impressed. I mean, he's definitely not someone you probably want starting, but if you want a serviceable backup, especially someone that has you know, decent arm strength, I think that – I, I really like him. I think that he would take a couple of years and you'd have to invest in him. But I really see him making an impact somewhere, especially if a quarterback goes down and you plug him in. You don't lose as big of a step as you would. So the Spencer Rattler, I I love Spencer Rattler. I think if he is a day – like I think, if, I think if Spencer Rattler is like the day three guy, I am more than willing just to like – Throw, throw it a dartboard. Let's see what happens. Um, for a guy who came in at the senior bowl at six foot 219, he's not a big guy. He can zip it. Like, he's got oh, – The ball comes out of his hand so quickly. Like, it's he really hot. keeps the heat on that thing. Like, he's, put, he's putting RPMs on the ball. And yeah. I just think the toughness. Dude's tough as shit, man. You, you cannot teach getting cracked every single time you drop back to pass because South Carolina's offensive line was garbage and the offensive game plan was also garbage, and he just kept getting back up. I think he has the ability to attack every level of the defense. I think, of course, the processing gets very, very bad, and the decision-making yeah. gets very, very bad. You but know, if you I do think that stuff is fixable. Like If you have enough of traits, 
and you put him in an offense that is competent and it's not just, okay, Spencer, go do something. You, I see him being able to succeed and actually develop those processing skills because what offense has he played in where you need to be an elite processor? Not one. Well, yeah, that's the thing with Spencer Rattler. I think his best fit is with a team where he can sit for a year or two and kind of like have be in the ear of the starter or in the ear of the offensive coordinator going, hey, why can't I make that throw? Or it's it's kind of like taking a driving class. You know, you're not just going to get behind the wheel as like a 15 year old with a, without a learner's permit. You're going to end up driving off a cliff. You want to be in the ear of the driving instructor. You want to learn how to the rules of the road. My you know, it would be a very f- funny fit for Spencer Rattler. Oh, please don't steal my line. The New York Jets. Oh, I was going to say the <laughs> I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going. Do you? Do you? Because I'm, I'm, I, I was, I'm not making a personality comment. I'm not making a personality. I it would, be, it would said, be very like, funny though. I remember you saying, play style wise. If there's anybody, if you can talk me into Zach Wilson being the second overall pick, you can talk Spencer me. Into Spencer yeah, like, I, I said that like two years ago when Spencer Rattler should have declared. <laughs> I was like, if if Zach Wilson is going second overall, Spencer Rattler's going second overall this year, right? Like, and, and then he goes to two years at South Carolina. Um, and, and that was just absolute talk shit. Like yeah, that, that offense, the offense was horrible. The offensive line was horrible. Uh, schematically wise, it, you, you know who, who he does remind me of at least a little bit play style wise. He's not as big. Um, and, and this is kind of be a little bit iffy. um, Dwayne Haskins coming out of that this strong arm can make like every throw, not, not the, not the most mobile guy in the world but like has all the touch like ability you want to throw the football and kind of like operate operate quick game a little bit more as well like but it also has the processing questions as well uh but just i think when you look at like the big the arm that spencer rattler has it's one of the best in the class it's just you'll get you'll get like three good throws and then he'll throw a pass to the linebacker and you're like what was that like what are you doing what was what was the point of that yeah, so, yeah, like honestly, go ahead. What do you think about? Um, he doesn't oh. have the mobility of Wyoming Josh Allen, but nor do I think he'll ever be Josh Allen. But what do you think about like the arm strength and making every throw, even if maybe baby Josh Allen wasn't a, the greatest processor? The general recklessness of wyoming josh allen i do kind of see with spencer rattler like it's a bit of confidence in his arm but also like yeah it's fine i'm gonna throw this it'll be cool yes do you you know you know who that is very much reminiscent of who tony romo (laughs) so you know what i was trying to think or or like early matthew stafford Right, like when when Matthew Stafford first got to Detroit, he was, he was just lobbing. Trying. He was trying. lobbing shit. It was like if it wasn't to Megatron, I'm just we're just gonna see. It's fine. What I'll happens? See what uh, yeah, a team that I really would like to see him on or see him with is I honestly think the Giants would be very fun for him. Just a good, good, yeah. a good spot for him to sit behind Terod Taylor or sit in the ear of Brian Dayball and kind of be like, "Hey, why can't I do this?" or why won't this work? And then maybe down the line, like if if it all works out again in a perfect world for Spencer Rattler, he sits behind the, those two guys. And then if Daniel Jones is more than likely bad, 
this year. You kick the can on Daniel Jones and Spencer Rattler can kind of get that trial by fire a little bit. You're you're ideally hoping the development scenario is similar to Jordan Love, right? Yes. You're you're hoping that arc is similar to what Jordan Love did. Granted, I think Jordan Love was better coming out than Spencer Rattler, uh, but I also think Jordan Love was like was at a better time uh, because I think if if Love was in now with like the portal and things like that, he would have probably stayed another year and worked up to a bigger school. Um, but like for for Spencer Rattler, it's just it's like like I I just want to see you do more, man. Like I I don't know if I ever saw Spencer Rattler look different than what he looked like at Oklahoma. He just took a lot more hits <laughs> at South Carolina. The South Carolina, what South Carolina came in and asked him to do is like, just be the Oklahoma you. And that's not what yeah. you were asking and, and like for. They, they kind of curved that down a little bit this year, but that was also just the design of the offense. Was yeah, like, like they, they kind of we're just going to work short game. And then when we don't do that, we're just going to chuck it up deep to Xavier Leggett. And hey, in his tape there's so many tight ends like screens yeah. and variations it's oh, like yeah, it's offense yeah. it was screens and then Leggett downfield yeah um but we have avoided them long enough all right uh what are your thoughts on Bonix? any who, anyone who are you asking first I'm, uh, I'm i'm letting you guys go this is the iso <laughs> moment this is gonna be a soapbox unfortunately here we go this is what we're here for. I don't like him. I don't like the tape. <laughs> I I don't understand the top like seven hype that I've seen him get. They're like, oh, but he's such an elite processor. I'm like, the ball goes three yards. What? You don't what? Need to be yeah. an elite processor of what exactly? Of, of throwing a screen? Congratulations, bro. I hope you have every yak player in the world. Like, let's just put you on the San Francisco 49ers because the only place that you're ever going to be good. I don't know. I understand that like they, they, he has the intelligence and the intangibles. He has a lot of experience. I, I understand all of that, but when I watch the tape, if I'm going to gamble on a quarterback in the late first round or early second round, I'm rather gamble on someone like Penix. At least you have, you know, athleticism and, you know, you can build something off of those traits, you know, whether or not he's healthy. I don't see that with Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is already at his ceiling. I don't know how much more you're going to get out of him long-term. And why would you draft somebody in the first round that you've kind of already maximized their potential and they're not even in the league, or, league yet? Yeah. So some stats with Bo Nix uh, per Sports Info Solutions. Uh, Bo Nix, among the other five quarterbacks or other quarterbacks that are Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, J.J. McCarthy, and Jaden Daniels, he leads all of them in RPO passing attempts. Like, that's that's kind of what he was asking. Their whole offense this year. Or that, was their, that was their whole offense. He was also the only player to crack triple digits in those attempts. Yeah. So it's that, and then you combine that with he also was – like the lowest first, dot of all of first them. sports information solutions. He's also the only player in the triple digits of screen passing attempts this year. Yeah. He had and, the lowest a dot. It's just, it, it, there are so, too many question marks 
There's a because, lot of question marks. Because it's like, oh, well, he looks different than Auburn Bonex. Yeah, they they put the training wheels on him and were like, here's here's a couple of crayons. Here, go have fun, buddy. Like the coloring lines. Yeah. <laughs> like make sure you get in the line. Like that's a, they didn't and you can't sit there and say, well, if you only look at like a certain amount of throws, it's like, yeah, he had great touch on this one throw. What about the rest? What is he like when he has to move off of his first read or he's pressured? It, it drops off like it, it to me. I, I've, I've said for months now, I thought he was he's like current Baker Mayfield. Right. Where it's like if you can get him into a rhythm, he's got the tools to be able to make plays and make. But his processing at, at this stage, like I personally, I don't think processing is something that it truly ever really gets fixed. Like, like you have to play around it, um, especially when you've been playing as long as Bo Nix. Like, it, it, it just, it's not, it, you're not, he's not going to suddenly develop into an elite processor in the in the requisite time that a rookie contract will take, right? So with Knicks, there's a couple of things. First off, I want to, we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about the good a little bit before I delve into kind of my issues with Bo Nix. It's the good. He's a good enough athlete to make things shake when things kind of go wrong where he can you can he can pull a zone read and make teams be aware of his ability to run with the ball. I think when the offense showed when the offense was not tailor made to throwing RPOs and screens and passes behind the line of scrimmage, the few passes that he threw downfield he showed okay touch on those. Yeah. He's he showed touch that like okay, I can see where people are going with this. Yeah. But like you guys said, the, for me the biggest thing is the processing. It is really bad, especially under pressure. I think when he's asked to make a full field read, which of course it's college football, you're not asked to do that a lot, but when you're talking about a guy that you want to draft in the first round, you you need to be able to do that. You need to be able yeah. to make those plays. I've always said that the biggest benefactor of Brock Purdy being successful in San Francisco is Bo Nix, because that's what you're hoping to get. A very experienced guy, has played a lot of games, might not be the best athlete, but if you get him on a team that already has like a tailor-made like stars, yeah. Yeah. Like if, you, if you have stars right. in other positions that kind of can create for him after the catch, then maybe you can turn him into an NFL starter. Right. But which, if, which is such a fun caveat, right? It's like if you have literally every other yeah, piece you have on your Daniel, offense Chris and you McCaffrey, put him in. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan and you have yeah. George Kittle. Like, yeah, which, maybe. Which is something that not a lot of teams can boast. Yeah, not a lot of teams can say that they have no. that. But, I, no. Usually not as if you're picking the, you know, a quarterback in the it, first round. Hey, Especially if you're picking a quarterback in the first round, and B, especially if you are the team that is picking Bonix in the first round, because you've probably sucked at team building up to this point, unless it's a new general manager. Right? I just like, understand the discrepancies in the evaluation of what Bonix is as a processor in the pocket, because I've seen so many evaluations of him where they're like, "Yeah, but he doesn't make mistakes. He's so good." He's got real happy feet in the pocket. He's it's it's in the pocket. He he dances like Shakira. Like it's it's crazy. Of his hips do it. lie, unfortunately. It's, it's, <laughs> so but he's, he's got he's the little happy feet. He's a penguin from Happy Feet. He's 
So you actually brought up Tampa with Baker Mayfield uh, as being his play style comp. I actually think him going to Tampa would be kind of a benefit for him. As long as like depends, he doesn't depends have to on their right new away. offense. Depends yeah. on it depends on what they do offensively. I think Dad Lewis is interviewing there yeah. in, in the coming weeks. But if you can keep Mike Evans and Chris Godwin Chris and Godwin. all everything else that you have with Tampa, yeah. I can see Bo Nix being successful. You, you know what would be a very funny Detroit. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Now, granted, granted, it wouldn't work because Detroit would ask him to go under center, and like he, uh, you're not going to ask Bo Nix to go under center. But like, say, in yeah. terms of like everything being designed for him, granted, Detroit does not necessarily have the same caliber of you know Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, etc. But like, they can scheme up guys open. Sam Laporta on those shots or like the screens and yak with Bo Nix is going to happen. Like that's going to be great. So I don't know what they're going to do with Hendon Hooker at this not? point, but I just I'm just spitballing like another one. Uh, Pittsburgh, Atlanta. I was going to say Atlanta. Atlanta yeah, would Atlanta. be very fun. Uh, he would of course have to go under center because uh, Zach Robinson is there now. But you think about like, hey, you don't have to don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just no, throw the ball to Kyle. The ball, hand the ball off to Bijan Robinson. Ball to Bijan Robinson, throw it to Kyle. Pitts, throw, throw it somewhere at Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Just put it in the area code. Yeah, you don't even got to be specific with the phone yeah. number. Just get the area code right. We'll figure out everything else. Yeah. But of course, when we're talking about Onyx, or go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think the Saints are an interesting place for him too. I don't know offensively now that people Carmichael's gone, what that offense is gonna look like, but they do have some pieces, and also it would be a very Saints pick, and because I'm a Saints fan, it will probably happen. Yeah, it, they are starting to want to go a little bit more Shanahan McVay, and and so like if if you're gonna say, well, he's probably gonna be a little bit more under center in that in that kind of offense, probably not going to be the pick, but. It also just kind of depends because they have like Greg Lewis, for example, is interviewing from Baltimore from Todd Munkin. There's a lot of shotgun in that as well. So it, just don't really know. But I, I like Bonix is almost like I'm sitting here saying like shotgun only. Like there's I, I'm oh. not going to ask Bonix to go under center. <laughs> you know what team this sounds like? It sounds like Philadelphia. Yeah. That would be that would be incredibly funny. It would be, yeah. Because you just know the moment Jalen Hurts plays that. Yeah. The bonus. It, there's there's going to be a blitz that he misses on like a third five. Like, and oh, this would miss that when a. Kellen Moore is going to be like, if you put this guy in, I could call up a screen like nobody's business. Like, Oh, gosh. I think uh, Pittsburgh actually gets very interesting, especially because they hired Arthur Smith. Oh, Arthur that's going to be our so- under center. I was going to say Arthur Smith can just pistol the shit out of this offense. <laughs> be like, we're going to get the yeah. best of both worlds out of this. Yeah. Like, you will not ruin me again. But honestly, go ahead. What would be really funny for him is Miami. <laughs> Kevin's not here, so I could say this without him getting pissy. You but know like, what? Yeah. You know, like, listen, Tua's yeah. his contract is getting up there, right? Like, yeah. And like, are you are you going to say you're going to pay Tua 150 million dollars? But no. Like I wouldn't be comfortable with that, and the so like you might as well restart on the quarterback contract. I, I see it, but uh, of course, talking about Bo Nix, also have to talk Michael Penix, senior quarterback from Washington. 
I love Michael Penix as a passer. If we were just evaluating him on on the field stuff, he would be a second, my mid-second round pick for me. But then you get into the injuries. And then that's where the equation starts to get really difficult. Um, we're going to talk briefly about Penix. Uh, I just, I want to be, I want to be a believer. I want to believe in Michael Penix, but the injuries plus, I think people give him a lot more credit on ball placement than he, like, I think the ball placement is spotty. Like it's, he's, he's like a streaky shooter in the NBA. We're like, if it's on, like it's like the Texas game. It is on. He's putting balls everywhere. It's a crazy thing I just said. AJ, where would you think his best fit is? I know you had him in your latest month to Pittsburgh, but where do yeah. you think his best fit would be? Um, sorry. It is, it's kind of it's kind of interesting with Penix because I I love his ability as a vertical passer, right? Like I, I think especially uh, on the sideline, I think is a uh, kind of a, a good spot for him. I just I had him in Pittsburgh before they went with Arthur Smith. I don't that necessarily know if you want to go movement and Penix yeah. is, I don't know if you necessarily want that as well, but also like uh the under center stuff. I'm not gonna ask Michael Penix to do that. Um honestly, if like you said, like we brought up Tampa earlier, I am I'm kind of interested in Seattle, right? Um it's just like a backup behind Geno Smith. Like Geno Smith is is clearly better. Like that. Like there's no doubting of that. But in terms of like scheme fit of, and we'll kind of see what Mike McDonald does. But like just in terms of like weapons and what they ran last year, I think that would be a good fit. Um, I am kind of interested in how he would fit with a couple of teams like Minnesota, for example. Um, one one that is to Tennessee is is going to be interesting to see how that offense looks like uh, because if it's a lot like what they did with Joe Burrow then it's going to be pretty shotgun heavy and in that instance Michael Penix would probably work out it just kind of depends on their personnel um we just don't really know what that's going to look like yet it's tough to if if Washington didn't have the second overall pick and they were obviously going to take Drake May. I would be like, yeah, you know what? With Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, those guys. So a absolutely. team that I actually thought about, I'm not sure what they do with quarterback because they're kind of out of the quarterback pick range, but Las Vegas in terms yeah. of wanting to Vegas generate as well. Yeah. Especially if they end up keeping that pick and not trading for fields. Like you can talk me into like getting Michael Penix drafting a lineman and saying, hey. We're gonna go full full send with Penix and try and get more explosive out of this offense. Um, I just like I said, I want to believe because the downfield like aggressiveness, the touch throwing downfield, and the and the ability to fit fit those passes in the tight windows. But again, the I think the ball placement is a little spotty, and then the the pocket movement is also hot and cold. Yeah, I you know think... what? He's Shane Battier. He's okay. a he's, he's a spot up shooter. Yeah, I I he's... was sitting here thinking like a, like a pro. It, it's not a one to one, but just of like play style, he reminds me a lot of Mason Rudolph coming it's... out like like a very like a very good deep ball thrower. Although I will always remember 
I think it was Mike Mayock going, he's the best deep ball thrower in the draft at the combine. And the and the ball just like completely died. Like as soon yeah. as he said that, <laughs> I will yeah. always remember. It's like, like the ref dinks. Yeah, but just like but like it's just in terms of like that vertical ability, I think of what he can do. Um, not the same size and and, and kind of not definitely not the same personality types, but like if you can get him Ideally, he's like a, he's a a good spot starter. I I don't know if I would ever be comfortable with his like him being a full time starter just because of his age, medicals, things like that. Like, and I don't know if he'll ever develop a middle of the field. Um, but I think I think overall, like Michael Penix can be a a, a decent long time starter and not a starter, but like quarterback in the NFL. As a passer, it's very Taradish, like Tarad Taylor. Yeah, I think I think that's your best, pretty your best bet. Beautiful deep ball, <laughs> Tarad but, Taylor, but with the Chargers doctors. <laughs> Tarad Taylor, but but with the injury history of a seventy-five-year-old man. Um, yes. We're gonna wrap up here in a little bit. Uh, AJ, I wanted to go rapid fire here. What pick on day two that you made was your favorite prospect to team fit? Oh man, gosh! Oh, hold on. I'm gonna I'm trying to think. I think I my favorite one overall. I loved Cam Hart to Detroit, like long, physical. Like he and Kyrie Jackson are the only two corners that came in over 200 pounds at the Senior Bowl. And it, like, if we had a little bit more time, we could have talked about like the body type at corner because all but two of the quarters were like 5'11", 190 at the Senior Bowl. And then there's Cam Hart and Kyrie Jackson who are like 6'2", 210 with like huge arms. The and battle Cam Hart- he had with uh, Tez Walker today in one-on-ones yeah. was so – he took Tez's lunch money. It, yeah. I felt bad. Yeah, I, I like that one. I also like um, – I, I, I sent Junior Colson to Dallas. I think that one's going to – I think that one's a good one. Um, yes. Yeah. Zach Frazier to the Rams. I think they need a long-time center. Um, we, sh- we will probably at some point talk about Jackson Powers Johnson because – Oh, my God. I, I have – eventually we have to. I could talk about him right here, right now for like two like, seconds. Look, I I'm not saying draft him at 17, but I'm not gonna say I'm not considering it. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here saying I would. I think he could be Travis Frederick. I think you were you're getting a yeah Pro Bowl All Pro caliber. Like, like within within his first like while he's on his rookie contract, we'll be talking about him as the best center in the game. Like like I, even, I it's scary. Even if he's not a center, you're getting a really good guard. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it, for him, moment. for him bouncing around as many positions as he did, to be as technically refined as he is, center for one nuts. year at Oregon, like that's insane. Yeah, it's a center for yeah, just this year was his full time, and he played both guard spots, and I think he had a few snaps at right tackle, if I'm not mistaken, Look, at some he, point. But like it's, it's a, crazy. Put him at center. Forget. Figure everything else. He's out. there for ten years. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to worry about. C- center is the most surplus value position you'll get because you could take one and if you hit like regression just does not happen for centers like if you have an elite center he's going to be elite for 10 years it the only time i could think of it happening is ryan kelly and that's because he had covid and lost a kid and like had a lot of other things and then in two years he was back to being one of the best centers in the game yeah like it, it just does not and if you take him right away and you don't you forget about it 
again, I think we're going to do the thing with positional value for uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. But yeah, but he's a top 10 player. First, that's a first round line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if we're talking about like overall linemen, I would take in the first round, like outside of the tackles. I think Jackson Powers Johnson is the first name. I, that I, I think I would take him over Faltanu. Yeah. Ooh, that's interesting because because my it's it's tough, but I I think I would take him. Over see, my like comparison side by side in terms of prospect wise because they kind of do play the same position and would play the same position at the NFL level. I would take him in the first round before I take Graham Barton. Yeah. Just he's just a big Jackson Powers is a special mover. Like three thirty five, and he moves like he's three hundred. It's like crazy. You don't find guys like that at center. He, yeah. It's, no. it's like Creed Humphrey, and that's it. Like that's that's it. Like so, another another thing I want to ask you about was whose upcoming draft are you most excited to watch unfold outside of the the top three like quarterback heavy teams? Ooh, you know, I think Arizona because they have a shit ton of picks. Like they can really make some shake. Arizona is probably the hardest team to pick for in this mock because mm-hmm. they have like 14 picks. It's just not that many, but they have, they have so many picks and it's like, okay, well, I've already picked this guy. I've already picked at this position. I've already picked at this position. Oh God. I'm sitting here in like round six going, uh, I already took a corner. I, I'm going to give him another one. Like, like they have so many picks. I'm fascinated to see how that way and like how they choose to build around Kaiser Murray and what they look, because if you look at this year, Arizona stunk. like they, like they, they were, they were feisty, but they, they weren't, they were not a good team. Like you could just tell the talent was just not there or like okay. outside of, outside of like Kyler Murray making a few plays. Like it, they were just not well, respect Trey McBride. Okay. Yeah. Trey McBride. I'll, I'll, I'll give Trey McBride for it. And like James Connor is, is also still very effective. Um, but like, the talent overall in the team is not is not great. Yeah. And they have a ton of picks to just sit there and lob at that. And they had a very good draft last year. Like, what do they look like again with another year of comfortability? The, everybody's in the same office, kind of. They have another year together and ironing out what they really want at, at different positions. Now you get a full year of Kyler Murray. I think that's a fascinating, fascinating draft to see. Yeah, one of the things that I've kind of struggled with with mocks for Arizona is that second first round pick because that kind of comes after where I have all the corners start to go off the board. And so I'm like, this is a pick where you could see Arizona trade up. or You could see them like, hey, if we really want a guy like Quinion Mitchell or a Terion Arnold, they have the ammo, like you said, to trade up wherever. Yeah. They, they really hold the keys to this draft at four. Yeah. I, I, there are a lot of positions they could go, right? Like if they, I think DJ Humphreys is probably done with the team. I think he's so like, for example, with like a left tackle there, or are you going to move Paris Johnson back over to left tackle and you could trade up for a a JC Latham, a a Mario Smith. You can get a Tyler Guyton. You can get uh, Fuaga, right? Like the, there are options for you. It just it, that's what's so fascinating about it is it's like what are they? How are they going to approach? Okay, DJ Humphreys is probably gone. Uh, Hollywood Brown is probably gone, right? Like now, granted, they'll take Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that's 
but like like how do you how how they approach the offseason i think is going to be very interesting and my last question for you before we get out of here player in this draft you're a lot higher on than most people man i we talked about chris braswell i think um i'm trying to think of like a sleeper guy that i really like and i'm Dominic Puni out of Kansas, Tyler Davis out of Clemson. I think people forgot how good Tyler Davis was because he's awesome. Roman Wilson, I would take in like the second round and not even think about it. Bo Limmer, the center out of Arkansas. Like there's so many guys. I If you want like a name at like that nobody's talking about, Jaquan Shepard, the corner out of Maryland is a name that I've, I've been keeping an eye on for a little while since he was at Cincinnati, I believe. A very good athlete. I thought you were going to go with the uh, Wyoming linebacker from Shrine. Easton Gibbs. Yes. Easton Gibbs is is like a brand guy. Miami, Garrett Greenfield. Like, I have so many guys. But I, Brandon Coleman out of TCU. Like, I, I've, I watched him before the Senior Bowl, and I was like, I would take this guy day two and not even think about it. Um, as, as For, like, a quarterback, Carter Bradley is like – Hey man, he can zip it. I was bad. It's like, like he's like he's always had an arm, right? But like, I think I would take him before I thought about like Sam Hartman and like these other like tier like three or four quarterbacks at the end, right? Like I I would I would take Carter Bradley in like like if you look at him versus like the Shrine Bowl guys, I thought Carter Bradley would have been the best quarterback at the Shrine Bowl too. Um, so I, I think that's a name that I would also throw up there. All right. Well, that was our draft episode before the draft episode. Uh, make sure you watch, make sure if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like subscribe, give us five stars. If you're if you're listening on Spotify, Apple podcasts, give us five stars. If you don't give us five stars, then we're going to be forced to bring Kevin back onto the podcast. And nobody here wants to do that. We, we had a perfectly fine conversation here without Kevin screwing it up. So that's from Karina, from AJ, this is JP telling you peace out and we'll see you next time.